0: well oh, hi everybody and welcome to the ANZ agri commodity insights session for autumn 2023 uh, mark Bennett here I'm joined by Michael Whitehead and Madeline Swan and Adelaide Timbrell as we get back into gear and whip through uh, the key issues impacting agriculture in australia and agribusiness and um, and what a time it is I, I really hope everyone's had a Great kind of break. Wasn't it a long season for a lot of people? It uh, kept raining and stayed wet in a lot of places uh, in the east. and uh, But in the west, things were a lot better. And uh, a really big and pretty clean crop in general seems to have come off. And uh, we await the final numbers. But good times. And hopefully with all that late season stuff, everyone's got a chance to, um, to take a decent break and, and restock for this year. and. Whilst it is the autumn edition, that, as we speak, we're still in the tail end of summer and uh, it's, geez, it's it's pretty hard, isn't it, to think of what our season will actually be this year and everything hinges so strongly on that. But, um, but that's the guessing game. Uh, I, I guess if we try and surmise overall where we think we might be and where we think we might be going, it's... Um, Uh, It's not the end of the party, perhaps, but it's certainly the end or must be close to the end of a really golden run for a lot of Australian ag. And I always appreciate that it's not everyone everywhere that has had this golden run, as it were. But um, for a lot of farming, commodity price highs, great season through the La Nina weather pattern. Uh, low costs, low interest rates, um, appreciating land values uh, at significant pace. Um, most of these things have tempered, moderated, and on the cost side um, have created uh, more uh, cost and also um, created difficulties in input availability, whether that's FERT and chem, whether it's uh, labour, whether it's equipment. So. Um, the shine is coming out of things. Now, uh, we are in a pretty decent environment going forward. I think all things being equal is just not at the operating margin um, than we've seen so far. So, you know, all those, I think, costs are very front and centre for most farmers at the moment, um, and grappling with labour has been a prolonged period now. Um, that said, we are seeing some supply chain easing and availability of freighting, et cetera, but, but Labor's still a bit of a sticking point. Um, the interest rates that were coming uh, seem to have arrived. And you know the next guess on that is uh, how quickly and where do they peak and how long do they stay there before they might fall again? And uh, that contemplation will be now in a period where those costs are very evident in um, borrowers Profit and loss statements, whereas the last six or 12 months they've really been anticipated but not felt. Um, you know, all of that positivity and appetite points towards the um, rural property price uh, almost bonanza of, uh, you know, great opportunities for buyers and sellers all the way through, it seems. Um, I think there's just a bit more caution coming into that as we get to new season, costs are different, interest rates are higher. Um, I think investors are still there, but being selective um, and vendors probably um, checking themselves around, well, what is the realistic um, price, the right price versus a an amazing price. And um, I think all of that will converge um, and we're starting to see a bit of that anecdotally and come up in some of the early stats so um, all that said you could say geez we're off the top that's not so good Um, but really there's a lot to look forward to i think um, the underlying factors for commodity prices leveling um, with upside potential rather than necessarily falling Um, there's strong support in demand there's um, a low supply base in many of our soft commodities um, that we that we um, grow and sell into. Um, we have um, we have the buying behaviours of our key markets still looking to shore up food security so that um, they can manage um, you know civil issues in country and be ready for what um, the COVID nineteen pandemic taught us to be ready for and and that's having a bit. Uh, in stock again. And uh, as long as that stays true, we probably think that um, demand will remain strong for a lot of the staples that that we produce here. So, um, and that said, I, I think those prices matched against input costs that we're seeing in farming still should produce um, pretty acceptable margins uh, through farming. And uh, assuming that is that we do get that normal season Whatever that is, um, but there's nothing to expect necessarily a better or worse season or a drier or wetter season going forward. Um, and we won't know about that till much later into the season. So, um, should that hold up, I think everything else will hold up. There's reasons, therefore, to be um, positive going forward. I think there's a good case for a continuing investment, and we still see strong investment intention coming from outside of farming and also within. Uh, and I think that comes from the build of what is a very financially strong and stable um, farming sector. And one that carries over a bit of water in system and soil moisture profile in a lot of key growing areas as well, so that even if the season is off a bit in some places, we can still expect pretty decent production. Um, But of course, there's many variables. We really look forward to another great year in the industry and um, bringing our thoughts and commentary to you. As we go along. Um, but getting into it right now, we're going to move to some of those macro trends that we are witnessing in the market. And I'll introduce Maddie to take it away. Thanks, Maddie.
1: Thanks, Mark. Um- since about 2020, we've obviously been dominated by a good season domestically, but also with an overhanging, the overhanging drivers of a lot of global factors which have pushed prices high. So, of many commodities high. So we've had a wonderful situation where we've had high volume and high prices, which has been a real bonanza for farmers. So looking forward into 2023, I think it's worth just spending a bit of time looking at what global factors do seem to be dominating the market, what what we still have question marks over and and where we're headed for the year. So I think the first one to really talk about, and it really is dominating most talk these days, is what's going on with the global economy. Uh, What is global consumer demand going to do? Where are we headed when it comes to food prices and the like? Um, And and how sharply is the global economy going to, uh, global economic growth going to, Contract um, given the high inflation atmosphere that we're currently in, so we've got the World Economic Forum is currently saying um, global economic growth should be down to about 2.9% in 2023. Um, that's down from about 3.2 the year before. Generally speaking, at the moment, we seem to see the EU performing better than we expected. Um, And in fact, economies in general performing better than expected, but consumer confidence and business confidence being very, very low. Um, So that obviously has an flow on impact um, to demand for food, demand for uh, fibres and the like. Um, So having said that... um, Global economic really is global economic growth really is the factor that's sitting behind most things at the moment, whether it's enunciated or not. Um, there's a lot of concern and a lot of tentative um, buying behaviour out there for, for for many people that are concerned that going forward, demand for commodities isn't going to be quite what it, what it what it was last year. The another factor that has been um, dominating is obviously been China, um, not only China in terms of Australia's trading relationship with China, but also China and their economic growth and their response to COVID. Um, so ever, I think most people will know that we that China adopted a zero COVID approach for the past few years now, which they they have got rid of. Um, so they are reopening their economy as such at the moment, China is in the middle of a wave of COVID. Not surprisingly, which will happen when you reopen, reopen your economy and remove all those lockdown um, lockdowns that they had in place. So there's a there's a lull in the Chinese economy as a sort of shadow lockdown is occurring. People are staying home to avoid getting COVID and all the rest. But having said that. At the end of that, there is light at the tunnel, which sees the China sees the China economy picking up again, we hope, um, as we come out of lockdown and demand um, and demand kicks up. As an example, we've got wool wool manufacturers and wool processors starting to return to pre-pandemic days in China in terms of their buying and processing capacity. So that that is likely to have a flow-on effect and should have a flow-on effect into uh, China's China's demands for demand for goods. Um, obviously, the trading relationship between China and Australia is still an issue of much um, discussion. Um, whilst there have been some really good signs and some some um, return to normal in terms of relationships between the two governments, there's nothing set in stone yet um, and we're not sure quite where we'll head. But certainly, um, if that relationship improves and, and China removes their ban on those Australian goods that it has banned, then that certainly should prove to be a boon for some producers going forward. Uh, commodity prices have also been a factor that have, have weighed on um, on uh, many producers um, going forward. So oil prices have been an issue, obviously, for quite some time now. Um, they took a dip in the late last late last year and they're expected to remain in and around where they currently are, which is historically high, but not at the highest levels it was at last year. Global soft commodities are ex- also expected to come off slightly, so that's grains and other globally traded um, agricultural commodities. They're expected to come off, off those highs that we saw last year, and you've seen um, the global food, global, global food price index by the UN Food Food and Agriculture Organisation come down uh, substantially since around march last year and that's mainly driven by grains and by vegetable oils so that's all on the way down and they're still expected to stay high in general but not at those uh, sort of histo- historic and somewhat concerning levels that they were in la- in last year um freight rates have been an issue um, have, have been an issue for uh, many Australian export, exporters. Much of that's obviously been um, due to the Russian war in the Ukraine. Um, we're, we're expecting to see up to about a 20% drop further in 2023 as I said, as with the other other factors, that continues to see um, see relatively high freight rates, but not not as high as they previously were. So there's been a mitigation in all those all those those um, global commodity um, factors, which should ease the pressure somewhat to many um, many farmers going forward. Uh, other factor is obviously the Russian war on the Ukraine. Um, now, no one can really predict how this goes forward without being a military expert, which oh, none of us are, obviously. um having said that some of the agreements, um, the trade agreements which have um, allowed Ukraine and Russian grain to come out of Ukrainian ports, is um, a temporary, agreement and it's up for renewal on a regular basis. So there is always the possibility that that agreement might lapse and we might lose some of that that grain coming out of the Ukraine and, and Ukrainian ports. So watch for that to see if if that continues uh, to be well brokered um, by the UN and we continue to allow trade out of the Ukrainian ports or if not. And if not, that will also probably affect um, fertiliser, vegetable prices and the like as, as has happened over the past few years. Now the last key factor, and I think probably uh, Mark referred to it in his op- opening, but it's something that's weighing on most people's mind is just what wonderful seasons we've had for the past three years, as we've had um, three basically successive uh, La Niña seasons, and whether it's time um, that that whether that will shift into an El Niño phase or not. Now we've got no idea currently. The Bureau of Met has no idea we're in a we're in a mid phase. Um, uh, uh, um, so the, the Bureau hasn't, doesn't have any forecast one way or the other, but I think we've all also been watching those huge snowfalls that have happened across um, America, the, the, um, the idea that the American, the American drought may break soon or being some sort of sign of a, chain, a change in that global climate and what will that changing global climate um, have on Australian producers and, the Australian, and Australian rain. So looking forward, it seems to be the factors of uh, climate, China, COVID and conflict when it comes to the Russian and Ukraine, which have been dominating those global drivers and we'll keep watching them into the future.
0: Thank you, Maddie. Well, that's a lot of um, territory covered there and any questions without answers, maybe, but um, definitely what's going on in people's minds and we'll get into the deeper detail of um, Australian economics and particularly interest rates and inflation with uh, Adelaide in her presentation. Until then, um, we're going to talk wheat and grain though with Michael Whitehead. Welcome back to the microphone, Michael.
2: Thank you very much, Mark. And a really interesting time for Australia's wheat and grain and oilseed sector at the moment. Uh, Times really are different now in early 2023 or things are looking different from where they were only a few months ago. In late 2022, when the rains were hitting, particularly the East Coast, there really were a lot of pessimistic views and and perhaps justifiably on where the crop would be come harvest time. But here as we sit uh, and arguably just about every crop australia is finally off maybe uh, a few farms to go it is looking like when the numbers finally come in we will be at or positive possibly above record crop levels. Uh, The numbers are looking particularly strong for wheat, for canola and for lentils as well, Um, but the overall winter crop is looking very much like it will be the same or possibly above last year's one. Now, this isn't the same right across Australia, and those of you listening, particularly in New South Wales or parts of Queensland or parts of Victorian cropping country, uh, will know that different regions got hit harder than others. New South Wales is the one that stands out unfortunately, that the New South Wales crop appears to be likely to be down around 30% overall. Um, both in terms of harvested area and in terms of production. Uh, Things are are really probably going to be up in most other parts. South Australia was the standout one, likely to see a 30% increase overall uh, in its production levels from last year. And for South Australia and Western Australia, that is a sign that uh, the growing conditions really were almost optimal yet again uh, for those two states. Going forward, um, it really is going to be interesting to see what farmers do going into the planting season based on a few things, and Maddie talked about the factors that are driving prices, uh, where the prices are now, they're certainly down. Uh, Wheat prices, canola prices, and barley prices, down from those peaks that we'd seen that have been caused, particularly by the Ukraine crisis, and particularly by the uncertainty of importers around the world trying to procure grain. They're down around 40% off those, but they are still very high prices relative to the past. Um, And so they really do uh, provide a lot of growers with, with a choice of crops where prices are likely to remain strong for some time. Costs, yes, will be an issue. They've been an issue for a while, and inflation, and a range of other factors, interest rates as well, mean that they will have to be factored in by growers going forward. So where do we see things likely to go going forward? The attention looks like it will continue to be on putting a major crop in because whilst the La Nina is gone, there's still not a great sign that uh, growers are likely to see a big dry. So likely to see that big focus again on a major wheat crop, a major barley crop and a major canola crop that may be at the expense of the pulse crops as we saw last year, partly hit by the rain, but also partly because a lot of growers decided to do everything they could to get a major one of the uh a major crop out of the, the biggest grains and the biggest oil seeds. Uh, looking forward globally as well. It appears as though a lot of the signs are reasonably good. Yes, while we are likely to see slightly better crops out of the northern hemisphere than we had in the past, the thing which is likely to grow up will be demand. And already the market is saying that once the economic difficulties finish, consumers will continue to look to import more. Countries are continuing to look to build up their grains and oilseed stockpiles. Uh, And and we're also seeing a a range of inflationary pressures at the moment that uh, once they've got will push things up in the major markets as well. So cost's an issue. Uh, Great crop looks like it's going to come off at the moment, and fingers crossed that this will continue for the crop coming forward.
0: Well, let's hope so, yes. And uh, I reckon there was quite a bit of talk last season around how shortage of inputs and costs might have had farmers leaning to fewer acres going in, but I don't think that really eventuated at all for all the talk. And maybe we're there again this year. Do do you think that really, I mean, you've got rotational considerations, but also farms are expensive, demand a return, and to not crop it to the fullest um, capability on the basis that costs are um, too high. Do, Do we feel like a full acreage, even though costs are up,
2: Probably yes, in a nutshell. Um, One of the things that we as an industry have thought in the past is, will farmers rotate between crops and sheep? The longer they haven't done that, it's probably uh, reasonable to think the less likely they are, uh, the less likely they are to continue to put uh, yet another major crop in, certainly to rotate their crops for soil health uh, and to reduce their concentration risk. And I suppose the other thing to to really think about is that, as a lot of croppers will say, because they have had such bumper years for the last three years or so, because the, the quality has by and large been there. And even that didn't suffer a lot in a lot of Australia in the recent rains, uh, because the volume has been there and because the prices have been there. Yes, while input costs have certainly gone up and factors such as interest rates have gone up, the fact that they are coming off a, a number of good years puts them in a much better position to balance those costs than it would have, say,
0: in an average period. So yes, it does point towards another strong planting. Yep, makes sense. Thank you. Um, Let's move on to another commodity that's off its highs. Uh, The golden question, I suppose, is where might it settle? And um, critical to that is not just the demand side, but maybe where we are at in total animal numbers. And of course, I speak of beef. Can you give us your take on the beef industry, please?
2: Absolutely. You, you are completely right. The beef industry has seen five years of price volatility. Um, you go back to 2018, 2019, the time really seems to have, have rushed through this period. Those two years, prices really went down as everybody sold off. And then when the rains finally came into 2020 and 2021, you saw prices more than double over that period of time. If we take the price indicator as being the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, it rapidly climbed as everybody restocked and restocked to take advantage of this grass and to build their herds up again. And then finally last year, we got to this period where prices looked like they'd got to a new normal, the restocking had eased, uh, and then they started to decline. Back to around with the uh, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator, around 850 cents. What have we seen so far in the first couple of months of this year? We have seen that indicator decline even further and it's gone back to around 750, which is its lowest level since about mid 2020. What are some of the things driving this? Well, you could say a number of pieces, as we said, of normality returning to the market. First of all, uh, a lot of cattle producers have restocked just about as much as they need to. So that restocker activity and that fervour has gone out of the market. They are still there. We are still seeing prices go up and down, which makes it look as though the restockers will keep buying, but only at the right price, not at any price. And if things start to go up too far, then they'll pull back. Good uh, Good old 101 economics. The second thing that we're seeing is to do with the processes, and so many meat processing facilities right now will talk about the labour issue they have. They cannot find enough workers to run at the capacity they would like to be running, and if this happens, then they're not in the market buying the amount of cattle they'd want to be buying. So this also means that prices don't get pushed up as well. And that labour issue in processes is really going to have to be watched carefully because there's no great sign of any reason why it might change in the first half of this year or so. In terms of the feedlots, on the other hand, they are continuing to buy. Feedlot economics have been a bit challenged by high grain prices, but we continue to see very high numbers on feedlots as well. Uh, So they're they're keeping prices up to a reasonable level. So what are we likely to see with prices? Reasonably uh, flat. We could be in the new. Normal, if we want to use that phrase again, some volatility, but uh, no great signs things will shoot up or shoot down. In terms of the cattle herd, really interesting one. We, we're always in a cycle going one way or another, and droughts tend to interrupt that. But on current forecast, we are still three years from the end of this cycle going up. In 2023, it looks likely the national herd will be just under 29 million head, around 28.8. And current forecasts have that this growth is likely to slow, but keep going until about 2025, when we'll hit 30 million head, and then things are likely to start to go down again. So some, all things being equal and good weather, growth likely to continue for some time. In terms of the big question of exports, a lot of this has to do with supply. If we can't process the amount of meat to get out there, then that might mean that beef exports remain low. And in 2022, they fell to a 19-year low. The demand will certainly be there. The US is likely to increase its demand for Australian beef, as their herd really starts to not have the numbers there. And China, after its lockdown as well, uh, has opened up again. And as it comes out of hard economic times, also likely to see strong demand. So a number of factors there as well. The meat industry and the beef industry particularly has been through those volatile a few years. But if the rain keeps coming and if demand stays the way it is, then things look like they could have leveled out to a good point.
0: Yeah, thanks for that, Michael. I mean, it's a much talked about industry being being our big one or one of the uh, big ones in Australia. And I, um, I guess demand is the constant there and, and the supply talk of is, you know, just on 30 million. And the, you know, the sustainable peak of of the beef herd uh, is an interesting one to consider, isn't it? Um, I think the other thing is if, I mean, if the restockers are sort of not out of the market, but certainly quieter, it starts to suggest on a fuller herd composition um they're in the business of selling the right number on a year on year basis so while prices are down more stock coming out of the paddock um still you know points towards a a healthy um grazier uh profile so um let's hope that at the current prices let's say we're stabilizing a bit um you know it should mean pretty decent operating conditions should the weather hold for beef um producers this year
2: a- absolutely, looking good for for this year, but uh, that weather really needs to keep being watched, but nothing we can do about that.
0: No, indeed. So we'll move on from beef now, and uh, if we can, Maddie, talk sheep, because they're probably closing on on a similar kind of reasonably, not spectacular, but a strong return to total numbers, and um, maybe they're testing the limits a bit now that um, – We've got so many more sheep back on the ground, but over to you for what is a pretty interesting story and in a tale of all kinds of complexities through heavy lambs, light lambs, um, trade lambs, mutton versus lamb. Um, I'll <laughs> hand over to you for now. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks,
1: Mark. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a. a- up and down start to the year for um the trade for the trade lamb indicator for for lamb prices in the in the sour yard across Australia. Um, having said that, nowhere near the level of volatility that we've seen in the cattle market. And once again, we've actually seen the National Trade Lamb Indicator and the ECI start to converge which has been interesting and a, and a long held theme that they always tend back together again so they're doing that now in in as a time as as Michael uh, alluded to that restocking is coming down but what really is driving the the sheep industry at the moment is a lack of good quality fattened lambs in the sow yard a lot of that comes um, from the cold Rainy spring um, and poor, relatively poor growth um, for fattening lambs that we had um, um, late last year and early this year. Um, So that has been dominating. So there are a lot of light lambs around, there are quite a few trade lambs around, and there aren't many heavies. So as a result, you're seeing a lot of good, good prices um, being paid by by processors for heavy lambs. Trailing that, you're seeing the trade lamb. Prices start to pick up um, as as people um, gather them up for fattening and realise the, um, the 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 opportunity available um, given those good solid heavy prices. Um, but if you've got light lambs at the moment, um, they're not actually getting much in the sale yard. So that there's a generalised recommendation to try and feed them until the prices improve. Um, so. We saw some large some relatively large, not very large, but some falls across different states um, to begin to begin with the year with. That was West Australia and Victoria in particular. West Australia's had a really good comeback, um, and Victoria's had a solid income, uh, comeback. So we've sort of seen the trade lamb indicator sitting in the early 700s at the moment about 730 it's been up as high as 750 so in and around that level which is not is not where it was in 21 um or 22 but it is still a fairly good um a fairly good price um, so as i say as i mentioned before there's a real discrepancy between light lambs and heavy lambs um which is unsurprising given the, the lack of um, the lack of heavy lambs in the market, but what this is sort of saying, um, particularly as yardings have started off the year very strong in some weeks, um, record levels in one week, I believe, and and prices have stayed in and around where where they are at the moment is that yes, is is there there is good demand for lambs going forward, um, and that it's not an industry that's currently being uh, dominated by by numbers in the sow yards. Um, so what else are we what else are we seeing? Looking for? the MLA released their their forecasts um, just recently, as Mark alluded to about uh, flock numbers, and we're expecting to see the largest flock in around about fifteen years. So since since about two thousand and seven, coming with that is the largest production in a long long time as well. Um, so we're having a real a real um, Boon in the sheep industry, and there's been sort of while well, the focus has been on the cattle industry restocking, there's been a large amount of of work in restock, uh, restocking and rebuilding that national flock. So we've we've got really good figures there. With that, obviously, comes a bit of downward um, uh, pressure on prices, particularly for good quality. Uh, sorry for for lower quality um, lambs. What isn't improving at this stage is mutton. Um, mutton's still having um, a difficult time. A lot of that will come um, from farmers having retained stock in their paddocks um, for a few more years than necessary and there being more use uh, more available to, to sell than, than previously, but also driving it is the lack of demand for mutton out of China um, for the export markets. On the flip side, the export markets look very, very good for Australia's lamb supply. So that is sitting behind the, the, the decent prices at the moment. So in, ge- in general, while we're not seeing the high highs we've been at before, um, it's all looking fairly solid and stable. All the indicators are there is a lot of good solid demand behind it. The same issues that exist in the, in the cattle industry around processing and labour obviously still exist in in the sheep industry, but in general, what you can say is if if you've got heavies, then I think you'll have a processor knocking on your door very shortly. If you've got some light lambs, you might have some feeding to do.
0: Thank you, Maddie, And and it will be interesting to see whether that flock number just stabilises at short of, you know, 79, 80 million head. Um, We've seen prices hold. I think steady is absolutely the right description here it's been a great mainstay over the last even seven or eight years as we've probably brought 10 million more sheep into the flock without necessarily um, impacting prices too much Um, it'd just be interesting to see what ultimate number starts to test that and whether we're going to carry any more sheep or not and as Michael says um, if you've flexed between sheep and cropping a bit in the past and you haven't done it lately it's probably not likely to change that much either so maybe we're at that level of continuing stability, we'll see. Um, over to wool now, the other half of sheep, and um, a tale of two cities perhaps in the micron ranges. Um, are we expecting better things or is economic recession in our key partners around the world going to still dampen the prospects of wool prices?
1: Well, no one can be, really be unhappy with the way. Um the eastern market indicator and the australian wool um, wool prices have entered 2023 we've had some great great weekly jumps uh one after the other uh everything's looking uh, fairly on on the up and on the up and up but as we talk about in the paper it's really is um really is split between fine fine wool and coarse wool and we sort of generally use the eastern market indicator as being obviously the indicator price and that looks fairly um fairly stable and solid for for the part for the past little while but really what it's hiding is of course, wool price, which is down in the doldrums and doesn't show much um, chance of recovering any time really soon um, and and combined with a, a fine wool price, which is going great guns. Now, sitting behind that fine wool price is, is a return to uh, full, almost full or, uh, yeah, full or almost full processing capacity in China and other processing countries um, as they get back up online. Um, What we are not seeing as yet is any flow on effect from those global economic concerns. Wool is usually one of those products that gets hit quite heavily. It's seen seen as a luxury product. And when when people aren't spending, then they're not going out to buy new woolen suits or woolen coats. We don't really see that hitting in the buying activity yet. What we're seeing is is manufacturers trying to get their hands on supply so that they can rebuild their stocks and get back up to full processing capacity. So that's dominating at the moment. this is for fine wool, obviously. Um, and we might expect some, some moderation in the market going forward as that global economic uh sentiment hits, if it does happen to hit badly, as, as we talked about earlier, uh global economic growth seems to be doing better than anticipated. So, so we'll wait and see where that heads with the wool industry. Um, but we don't talk particularly often uh, particularly often about what's happening in the coarse wool. Um, market Um, and it was worth looking at briefly why prices have fallen to where they've fallen um, so they don't even cover sharing costs anymore. and it would generally appear because there is just a, a glut of coarse wool on the global market. You have to remember that while Australia dominates the fine wool market, we don't dominate the coarse wool market with uh, South America, Argentina, New Zealand, all having large amounts of coarse wool to sell. And in competing with them, uh, they've been rebuilding their their flocks with a notable exception of New Zealand. Um, they've, been, they've been rebuilding and there's a large amount of um, coarse wool on the market, so it really is a matter of the global market only really being willing to spend oh so much money on coarse wool and if there's more of it around then we just get lesser prices so unfortunately it really is a matter of uh, of of coarse wool producers either riding out um, the the current glut in supply or current increase in supply in the hope that um, producers from across the world will also reduce their their coarse wool output or switching to shedding breeds or some other combination of genetics which might which might change the outlook but it is interesting to look at a sector that doesn't often get talked about when we talk about the wool industry
0: thanks maddie um, how about dairy it's been a fantastic pricing maybe we're edging towards more of a supply driven price are we than demand uh, over to you
1: yeah it's a bit of a, a case of what a difference a year makes in the dairy market we started off 2022 with real global concerns about supply, uh, buyers were very concerned that, that 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 production seemed in decline in 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 most of the major milk producing countries. In contrast, we're entering 2023 um, with prices on the decline globally, and with major, some major producing uh, countries producing fairly well. So we have good production out of the EU, out of the uh, out of the US, um, and in general, supply looks to be fairly um, fairly strong. As a result, not surprisingly, we've seen global dairy trade auction prices come down. We've had a series of falls for quite some time now. Um, which has largely come out of either either uh, lockdowns in China and consumer demand in China mitigating um, uh, mitigating demand, or more recently, as I said, uh, supply performing surprisingly well and better than expected. What's been really interesting for the Australian industry is just that again divergence between what's happening here in Australia and what's happening globally. While we're not expecting to see a huge glut of milk come onto the market as we did um, in previous years, which have caused large drops in prices, we're certainly moving in opposite directions. Australian opening prices have been really solid. There have been step-ups. Um, there is continued and ongoing demand between between manufacturers for um, Australian milk suppliers, for the good suppliers, getting wonderful um, prices. You're even seeing Coles offering long-term contracts so they can try and lock producers in. Um, so you're seeing a real divergence between a global production system which is seems to have solid supply and lower prices, and an Australian system where, where production remains in decline um, and prices are, uh, are going very strongly as a result to, to try and capture that um capture that surprise uh, supply. Sorry. So behind behind all of this has been the question of why are people leaving. The, the Australian dairy industry. Um, there have been exits left, right and centre. As we said, production continues to decline and doesn't look like it's easing up, even though we, we have the strong prices that we do. And it is it seems to be a range of rather confusing factors, because if you look, as we do in the report, at profitability, it seems like that's been on the increase um, for year after year. Now, Differing differing increases in profitability by state, with actually quite, with a, with actually Western Australia performing the best, and then Tasmania, and then and then very relatively flat prof, profitability growth in some of the northern states. But what we're saying is, it's not profitability that seems to be ruling. The roost here, it's either age, succession planning, lack of labour, competition from beef or sheep, uh, other factors that seem to be be leading uh, dairy farmers out of the industry. So it is an interesting question to raise, and I know we've raised it before and discussed it before, where is the bottom in Australian milk supply, but where we're going so far, it appears that the industry is in for a sort of long-term readjustment Back towards being heavily domestic, domestically focused, and keeping in mind that domestic industry does pay the best, the the domestic consumer does pay the best prices currently. Particularly after that, the removal of one dollar milk and milk milk price restrictions, it is the most lucrative market for processors. So that export market does seem to be taking quite the decline, particularly in, in products such as butter and whole milk powder and, and those sort of areas. So it will be interesting to see how the dairy industry brands itself going forward, whether we focus on those luxury products being exported or we become a purely domestic industry only and where is the bottom in terms of production and farmer numbers.
0: Thank you, Maddie. So profitability, at least, and I think those remaining um, still have a lot to look forward to. Um, who are, are really committed to to seeing a you know another generation or a cycle through. So um, thank you for that. And now to Michael, we'll switch into cotton if we can. And uh, well, it's been a a pretty interesting. Uh, period uh, a spectacular period in many of ways with a lot of water and a lot of return to bales in the system over to you please Michael on cotton
2: Absolutely, and for the cotton story for Australia at the moment, it's not overly different from the grain and oilseed story as well. The good news is that uh, the industry appears to be heading for one of its largest crops ever, yet again, after a good crop last year. And that figure is looking like being around 5 million bales. Uh, Cotton estimates often vary widely, but things are looking good. The bad news, and similar to grain once again, is that unfortunately, because of the 2022 heavy Rains, it looks as though things are going to vary markedly between the New South Wales crop and the Queensland crop, the the two areas where Australia's cotton uh, production predominantly comes from. In New South Wales, it looks like the cotton area, harvested area, and production could be down around 40% on the previous year. Uh, Whereas in Queensland, things look like they could be up a reasonable amount, uh, up around 7% in terms of the harvested area. Uh, And in a sign that the conditions are actually pretty good for growing in Queensland, the crop itself could be up even higher as well. So fingers crossed that things uh, look good when it all comes off, but so far with the weather forecast going ahead, uh, things looking to be in a good place. Uh, Cotton's always been quite a volatile industry in terms of its production, and that's been very largely weather-driven. It swings more than the grains and oilseeds crop. So cotton growers will be looking ahead to what's likely to be good weather, but just always being on the cautious side for what things could be looking into late 2023 and 2024. But if we were to get our crystal ball out at the moment, we'd be thinking that it's likely that another good cotton crop will go in, another big cotton crop will go in, uh, and we will hopefully be looking at another strong harvest into 2024 as well. Obviously, before that is the uh, the winter planting uh, strategies for a lot of growers and what they choose to put in in that period of time. In terms of prices and in terms of globally, it's uh, likely that we could see cotton prices going up in the world over the coming months. And once again, as we said with grains and other things, the agricultural global commodities markets tend to look ahead to the medium to longer term. Yes, current economic conditions in the short term may mean that consumers buy a bit less. But because the supply chain takes a while to buy the cotton, process it and turn it into something, they tend to look longer term. And already a lot of buyers are looking towards the end of the year when consumers will start to wear the things from the cotton being picked now uh, or redo their furniture. As well. And they're predicting that demand will surge. So some of the forecasters out there see that this may push cotton prices up in the short to medium term. Two other things as well, uh, Pakistan, which is the world's fifth biggest grower, has seen about 40% of its crop wiped out, unfortunately, by floods. While at the same time, it looks as though India, who is a major grower and major processor, may be looking to restrict its own exports to keep domestic prices down. So this will push up world demand. So the potential is there for prices to be pretty good. The weather is looking in good shape for further ahead. The current crop is looking in good shape. Things looking reasonably good for the Australian cotton industry.
0: Um, okay, now something we don't talk about every edition: uh, sugar insights. It's been, uh, well, a pretty strong price period and a and a big uh, crop. Over to you on what the outlook um, is, Michael. Look once again,
2: and uh, we come to the the last commodity in this one, and don't want to say that things are same same with some of the other commodities. But absolutely, Australian sugar has some very good similarities with what's been happening in grains and what's been happening in cotton as well. The domestic crop is looking good. Looks like the current Australian sugarcane crop will be its highest in four years and the potential for it to trend up even further the following year. And on the price side, which at a time of high production can sometimes go down because of too much, Well, there are interruptions in the rest of the world to production in Brazil, in India, and in the EU. And so that has been keeping prices high. They actually hit globally a six-year high in January of this year. They went through a US mark of 21 cents a pound, which is about double where they were a couple of years ago. Um, So there really are those supply concerns globally, and that's why prices are good for Australian sugar growers. Um, And a number of them have been very optimistic about where the season's been uh, going forward at the moment. It it could have an issue outside of uh, the sugar production industry down the supply chain on food inflation because sugar really is a key ingredient in so much of the world's processed foods. Um, There are those discussions over sugar consumption, but it is a base ingredient and that consumption is continuing to grow. Going forward, what do we see some of the drivers likely to be? Uh, One of the big drivers is always biofuels. And if we look at what's happening in India, it appears likely that they might push some of their sugar into ethanol, which will mean less sugar on world markets. At the same time, while Brazil is forecast to produce a bigger crop going forward, if oil prices go up, then Brazil will also put some of its eating sugar into ethanol as well, and that will also reduce the supply on world markets. And finally, we've talked about that post-economic downturn demand when things get better later this year, and the fact that a lot of people, particularly in developing countries, will want to eat more sugar. Countries will scramble to build up their sugar stockpiles, uh, whether it's China, whether it's Indonesia, or these other major importers, and that will keep prices and demand strong. So on the whole, Things looking good for Australia's sugar growers.
0: Great to hear. Thank you, Michael, and thank you to Maddie as well for a great rundown of of commodities in Australian ag and what we might have to look forward to in the next quarter. Talk, well, talking economics in Australia and globally, perhaps, um, Adelaide Timbrel, and wow, what a spectacular time to be following. The likelihood of GDP performance um, in Australia and abroad and, of course, the inflation and interest rate. Chase, over to you. Thanks, Adelaide.
3: Increasing inflation in the Australian economy is going to really lead to challenges through 2023. In 2022, we saw that there was a lot of post-COVID economic activity Australian households were spending some of the money that they had saved through COVID as well as really being able to be secure in their employment situation which is still the case and this created a lot of economic activity through household spending and businesses expanding. We're not going to see that quite as much in 2023. Because of the escalating inflation in Australia and across the world, the Reserve Bank and other central banks have to continue to increase their cash rates, making it harder for businesses to take on debt and expand and making it more difficult for households to pay their mortgages and still have some left over for the fun stuff. We see the Reserve Bank increase in the cash rate another three times uh, in March, April and May, bringing our cash rate to 4.1% in May 2023. After that, we don't think that the cash rate will come down until November 2024. So this means that between now and 2024, we're going to see the average household put a lot more of their money into mortgage payments. For those households who don't have mortgages, rents will also be going up, not because of high interest rates, but because Australia has an extremely low rental vacancy rate. There's very few rentals to go around, which means that landlords have more power than usual to up those prices. At the same time, we don't see inflation coming down to that nice 2% to 3% band until probably very, very late 2024 um, or very early 2025. So, even though mortgage payments will be higher, the Reserve Bank will be keeping rates at a higher level in order to help inflation, it's going to take a long time for that result to actually come through in the Australian economy. Now, a lot of inflation does come from supply-side pressures and global pressures, but we are seeing that very much locally sourced and demand-side pressures of inflation are very strong. So, services inflation in Australia is actually annualizing at 8.5% per year, which is a little higher then the total inflation number of 7.8. Now, what that means is that things that we do not trade between countries are getting expensive at a really fast rate. That doesn't happen because of supply or global factors. That happens because there's so many Australian residents trying to spend so much money at the same time that companies do not have to compete as hard for our business because they know even if they hike up their prices, there's still going to be enough business to go around because we have been growing our spending so much. So as a result everything's going to be slowing down now. The Reserve Bank thinks um, they need more increases in the cash rate. That's going to make it harder for households to keep that spending growth going, and it's going to make it harder for businesses to see that kind of feeling of unlimited growth in their own demand. We don't think that this is going to hit the unemployment rate in a concerning way. In fact, we think the unemployment rate will stay very low through this year and through next year as well. So, the upside of the fact that we have a labour shortage in Australia is that most people will not see a job loss as a big risk for their long-term finances, because even if they do have a job loss in the short term, that will they'll be quite able to find a job quickly. And really, compared to the last 50 years, 2023 will be one of, if not the easiest year, to find a replacement job if you do lose your job. That's going to keep household spending um, from collapsing in this higher interest rate and inflation environment. And that's going to be a really big protective factor for all businesses in the economy. When we look at trade, we are seeing international trade really grow Um, through this year, particularly in the travel side of things um, with Chinese international students um, coming back as well as students from the rest of the world with travel now open and global travel rebounding quite quickly. And we're also seeing that create um, some, you know, better uh, economic activity in Australia uh, and some rosier Um, risk appetite in the rest of the world. When there is rosier risk appetite in the rest of the world, that tends to push the Australian dollar up. Uh, We do think the Australian dollar will drift up towards 75 cents USD at the end of the year. Uh, And part of that is because we will see a move away from US exceptionalism, which keeps their currency stronger than um, the rest of the world, as well as some, uh, you know, moderate risk appetite, allowing the Australian dollars to go up. So that's going to make imports a little bit more, uh, a little bit cheaper and exports a little bit less competitive. Um, We have seen that businesses have been really resilient through the inflationary pressures so far, and we don't think that there will be a huge rise in uh, challenges for either businesses or households. It's not going to be a collapse of the economy. We're not going to see a recession in Australia but we are going to just be seeing a slowdown in activity growth as both businesses and households um, reorient their activity towards this higher interest rate environment and continue with those inflationary challenges.
0: Um, We hope that conditions are good for everybody and to be talking in the winter around a established and consolidated maybe winter crop and and some uh, good news on commodity price fronts. But you never know. Uh, We look forward to getting out there and dealing with that with you and uh, look forward to our next edition uh, come the winter. Thanks all.